Last week was a little bit of a tough deal, right? Wasn't it reckless? Kind of a tough subject, tough deal. Um, If you guys are just jumping in with us, then uh, as we've been going through this series, talking about the story of God, and last week was the curveball. Last week was kind of the, the twist in the story, and it wasn't a good twist. So we've been looking at this perfect God who created all of the heavens and the earth, who created the world, and he established and created a perfect connection with humans. This good relationship, this perfect connection, and everything that Adam and Eve needed or wanted, they found and had in their relationship with God, which is the same for us. And so they had everything. And yet, as we talked about last week, they were deceived by Satan in the garden, and they chose to disobey God by eating from the tree. And as a result of Adam and Eve's decision, sin and death were unleashed upon the earth and it severed that close relationship, that close connection that Adam and Eve had with God. And so we look at that story, we hear that story and we tend to, like we talked about last week, blame God for that. Isn't it God's fault? Didn't God start that in the first place? Isn't God ultimately responsible for what sin and death has done? But that's unfair. And what we said last week is that a good God is not to blame for sin in the world. But sin exists in the world because humans tried to find something better than a perfect connection and relationship with a good God. So that's kind of what we talked about last week. And then as the story continues, Genesis chapter 3 ends with God forcing Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. All right, And he puts some angels there to guard it. And he kind of sends them on their merry way. And God still loves Adam and Eve. God still desires a relationship, right? We talked about last week that God could have just crushed them right there, zapped them, eliminated them, cursed them, and he didn't. So God still loves them. God still cares about them. God still desires to have a relationship with them. But that close connection has been broken because of sin. And so Adam and Eve have to leave the garden and they begin to experience life on this planet that's now different. And they've got to toil and sweat and work and there's all this extra stuff that they've got to deal with on a day in and day out basis because of a decision that they made. All the while not having that close connection with God. And so as the story goes on, they do what God had commanded them to do. They are fruitful and multiply and so they start having kids. And The first two kids that they have are called Cain and Abel. All right, maybe you've heard of those names. Maybe you've heard of the story of them. Cain and Abel are brothers, but Cain and Abel don't get along. So Abel brought a offering or his worship to God, and it was the best of what he had. But Cain didn't do that. Cain brought an offering to God, but it was kind of his leftovers. And so the Bible says that that God accepted Abel's offering, his worship, But he didn't accept Cain's. And so that created animosity and hatred on Cain's behalf. And so in Genesis chapter 4 verse 7, God gives a a, a warning to Cain. And here's what he says. He says, you will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. So right here in this verse, God is stating a fact about how much life has changed for humans, 
on this planet. So now because of sin, humans have to do what is right in order to, to be accepted by God. When things were perfect and they had that relationship with God, he never said, hey, you've got to do what's right. You've got to be perfect and you'll have a close connection with me. There was no sin that got in the way of that. Adam and Eve already had that close relationship with God. They already were accepted by God. They're walking closely with God. And now all of a sudden, God is saying something different. Now sin has gotten in the way. And it's created that major divide between God and man. And because of human sin nature, what God is saying in verse 7 is kind of the human's new reality. If you want to have a close relationship with me, if you want to be right with me, you've got to be perfect. If you'll be perfect, you'll have that close connection with me. Now, I don't know about you. We definitely know that Cain and Abel couldn't live up to that. But none of us can do that, right? That's an impossible command that God gives. And God knows that that's an impossible command. And the rest of the Old Testament, as we're going to look through over the next few months is the struggle of human beings to try to measure up to that standard. To try to earn and work their way back to God. And it's just impossible. And God is not playing some mean, cruel joke on Cain and Abel. He's not playing a mean, cruel joke on us. What God is doing here is he is showing us that in order to fix our broken connection with God, we need someone else to step in and help us do it. You and I can never do that on our own. Now that that sin nature is in the way and that divide has, has broken our relationship with God, it is impossible for you and me to be perfect enough to work our way back to God. And what God is doing is he is establishing that reality for all of us. That you and I can never do that. That we can never accomplish it on our own. That we need a savior. And so that's, that's the command that God gives to Cain and Abel. You've got to be perfect. You'll earn that connection with me. And so right away in that next verse, we see proof of that, how impossible that is. Because as soon as God tells that to Cain, Cain gets up and he goes and murders his brother. All right, hey, thanks God for the pep talk. I'm, I think I'm just going to do my own thing. And he goes out and he murders because of his anger and his resentment and he murders his brother. And over the next few chapters in Genesis which covers about 1,600 years, over 1,600 years, we see the world completely unravel because of sin. I mean, it is a, not just a steady decline. It is like a bottom drop out, like just pure evil in the world. And so humans begin to multiply on the planet, which in Genesis chapter 1 was a, a, a blessing from God, right? He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. So it was a blessing from God. But because of sin, it now turns into a curse. Because now humans are fruitful and multiply, which all that does is multiply sin across the planet. And so as the human population grew, it became more evil and more sinful than ever before. Now I want to ask you this question, and, and this kind of leads into where we're going. Can you think of a time in your life where you wanted to start over. Like just think about that. Was there a, a time, a moment, situation in your life where you just, you wanted to flat out start over? 
Maybe it was a mistake that you made and you're like, man, I wish I could go back and fix that. Maybe it was a relationship that, that you ruined and you're like, man, if I could just start over, I would do that relationship differently. I don't know, whatever the case may be, but there's a moment in our life where we're like, man, I wish that I could just have a reboot. I could start over. So for you, any video game guys in the, in the room or ladies in the room, what is the, if, if you're, you know, you're playing by yourself, not Xbox Live or whatever else, but you're, you're trying to defeat that level or whatever and things are not going according to plan, right? Man, you, you get backed into a corner, things aren't going all that great. What's the fastest way that you can fix that? <laughs> Restart, right? So you walk over across the room, man, I, I'm not, just not really feeling it. My mom was distracting me, so man, I, I got to focus this time. And so you just walk across the room and you hit restart. Right, when I, when I was younger and I was into video games and it was mainly sports games, and so whether it was Madden or whatever, if I was going through a season and I was on the way to the Super Bowl and then no matter what happened, like it, there was one week during the year where I would face this defense that just knew every play that I was calling. And I would get frustrated and maybe at times that controller would get chucked across the room, maybe. But I would get frustrated and I would look around and go... Let me just start over. So I'd walk across the room and I'd hit reset and then I would just play the game over again, right? So maybe you've done that. I remember in high school, I tried out for the baseball team. I think it was my sophomore year. And so one day during tryouts, they put me in center field, starting center fielder. All right, we're doing this, this kind of practice scrimmage, uh, inter-squad scrimmage. And so I'm in center field. It's like a rainy, like wind is swirling kind of day. So it's kind of nasty outside. And so I'm in center field. Guy at the plate hits this towering fly ball kind of to left center. And so I run over, left fielder's coming over. I, call, I got it, I got it. And so I get underneath it. And right as it's coming down, the wind just starts playing tricks with it. And that, that ball's dancing all over the place. And I start panicking. And I'm like, oh no. And I reach out and the ball falls onto the ground. And I'm frustrated and I pick the ball up and throw it back into the infield. And I'm just like, man, I can't believe I dropped that ball. It was so stupid. The very next day I show up at school, they post the... The, uh, the team, who made the team, I got cut. So I'm staring at the board like, are you serious right now? How, I dropped that one fly ball and I went from in center field starting to now I didn't even make the team. And for years I thought, man, if I could just have a redo on that fly ball, man, I would catch it next time. And if I could just have one, if I could just do that all over again, if I could just start over, then I would do things totally different. Maybe there are words that we say, right? We, those come out of our mouth and the immediate we're like, oh man, I wish that I could just take those back. I wish I didn't say that. I wish I could start over. Maybe there's a path that we go down and we think it's gonna lead to satisfaction. We think it's gonna lead to a certain destination and then we get there and we realize, man, it's created a lot of pain and a lot of heartache. And we're like, man, if I could just make that decision all over again, I would go down a different path. I think that's what God is feeling now. As God is watching sin completely destroy his creation and evil and violence and it's just kind of this downward spiral that God is looking at his creation with, man, I think, I think I need to start over. And it didn't catch God by surprise, right? We said the first week that God, because of the fact that he's all sufficient, like God knew the story that he was writing. He knew what Adam and Eve were going to do. He knew how the story was going to play out before it even started. So it didn't catch God off guard. 
And yet in that moment, God's standing here going, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't my plan for this creation. And so in Genesis chapter 6, here's what it says in verse 5 and 6. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. Now, if you've ever thought that God's heart does not break over sin and pain in the world, or that God doesn't care about the sin in your lives or the pain that exists in your life, then this proves otherwise. And this says that God's heart broke for the things that he saw on the planet. That even now today, in this crazy world that we live in, that God looks at the the planet, he sees sin, he sees the destruction, he sees the pain, and his heart breaks for those things. And so what ends up happening is that God decides that he's going to do something different. The earth needs a fresh start. That Noah was the only person that walked closely with God. So if you've ever felt in moments that you were the only one at your school campus, or you're the only one in your family that desires to walk closely with God, then Noah feels you. Like that was Noah. And Noah's sitting here in this moment going and God sees the fact that he's the only one that seeks after God and so one day God comes to Noah and he says hey Noah I want you to build a boat I want you to build a boat and so God tells Noah hey I'm I'm frustrated with the sin and the violence and all the destruction on this planet and so I'm going to start over and I want you to build a boat And so he tells Noah to build a boat that's longer than a football field and that's taller than a modern four-story building. And why does he do that? Because God is going to take Noah and his family and one male and female of every kind of animal and bird and he's going to put them on this boat. And this is going to be God's plan to kind of restart everything. Now, let me ask you this, because I'm thinking about how I would respond. How would would you respond if God came to you and said, hey, I want you to do this, right? Now, it may not be a boat, all right? But I'm sure maybe there's moments or situations where we feel like God's calling us to do something. We're like, that's crazy. You want me to what? Maybe it's a, a command that we know God's telling us, or maybe there's, we feel God's, you know, speaking to us about something he wants us to do and we can't shake it, we can't get away from it. But at the same time, we're like, that's crazy. Like, I I can't do that. And so I'm sure Noah had to have, have felt that. And yet here's what it says in verse 22 of chapter six. It says, so Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. All right, God, let's build a boat. And so That's what Noah starts doing. He starts that long process of building a gigantic boat. And when Noah is done, God brings the animals to the ark and they get inside this giant ark. And so the Bible says that water begins to erupt from underground and it rained, not only rained for a a few hours or a few days, no, it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And by the time that it had finished, the flood had covered the earth, rising 
over, the Bible says over 22 feet above the highest peak. If you want to know what the highest peak is, it's Mount Everest. 22 feet above the peak of Mount Everest. Now, some people believe that it was a kind of a localized flood. It was in a valley or in an area. But the Bible is very clear in, in some of the things that it says that it was a flood that, it, that covered the entire earth, not just a portion. That sounds crazy, right? This worldwide flood that covers 22 feet above Mount Everest. And so it, as the story goes on, it rains for 40 days. The floodwaters covered the earth for 150 days. And then it took another 190 days before the water dried up. Now, we've, if you've been following the weather, we've got a hurricane that's coming on shore over the next couple of days, right? And Atlanta, to a certain extent, may get some rain or whatever. Like, we may get a, a rain, rain for a day or two. All right? And I don't know, you know, how you feel after just a few hours of like, man, I want to get outside. I can get away from my family, right? Well, like, when it's raining outside and you can't go outside and you feel trapped. And so we'll feel that, like, in a couple of days, even just with a little bit of rain that we'll get. So then put yourself in on that boat. You're on that boat with some stinky, nasty, loud animals for a year. For a whole year. So by the end of that thing, like, man, I don't care. I'll go swim. I don't care. I'll go hug a mountain. I'll go get in a tree. Like, I don't care what I do. Just get me off of this flipping boat right now, right? Like at some point, there's a breaking point where it may be a few days in. It's definitely by the years moment, right? Where we're like, I don't care if I drown at this point. I just got to get off this boat. So they're on the boat for over a year. And when Noah finally opens the ark, the door of the ark, the only living things on earth are in that ark. Now, let's not shy away from the tough questions, all right? So we hear this story and the thought is, and maybe you've even heard this or you've thought this yourself. Man, that's, God's a murderer, right? How can you say he's a God of love? Like that's, that's genocide, right? Like he's just wiped out every animal and every human being other than a small group of people that are on that boat. So what is the deal with that? And it's, it's interesting how we are people a lot of times that we don't like injustice, right? I mean, we see things that go on in the world and, and we want to take action. Like we, we've heard stories of Nicaragua and, and we're heartbroken by that. And we want to see justice for the things that are going on. And we see some of the, the racial issues in our country and our heart breaks for that. And we want justice. We see some of the girls that are caught up in things like sex trafficking and it angers us and makes us mad and we want justice for those things. We get passionate. And let's be real. If anyone knows injustice, it's God. If anyone's, if anyone's heart breaks for injustice, it's God's. If anyone has the right to take action or to respond to injustice, it's God. And so what God does, as we talked about last week, is he invites people into a close relationship with him. And yet people constantly choose their own path. 
and they reject God. But then they don't want a holy God to bring justice. And the reality of this situation as we find ourselves in Genesis 6 through 9 is that this isn't the plan that God had. God didn't create sin. God didn't make death. That wasn't God's plan. That wasn't God's intent for the world. God created things and it was good. And yet because of what humans decided, what Adam and Eve decided to reject God, sin and death enters the picture. It wasn't God's fault. It wasn't God's decision. But God uses what sin has brought about to tell his story and to redirect his plan. And just to show God's heart for people and who he is, what's the thing that God does immediately when Noah and his family get off the ark? He makes a promise with them. In Genesis chapter nine, starting verse eight, it says, then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth, Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And so God wants Noah and he wants all of us to understand that he, his heart is for people. That he loves people, but that he does not desire what the result of sin and death brought about. And so God's reboot or his restart, his start over, ends with him giving the same command to Noah that he had given Adam and Eve in the garden. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, some of you may be sitting there going, hey, cool story, bro. Uh, What exactly does that have to do with me? Like, how does a story of a boat and a guy and a bunch of animals in a boat, what does that have to do with me tonight? There's three quick things I think we need to make the connection to of how how that impacts us and applies to us. The first thing is that we see God's justice against sin. For your life and for my life, God loves us, but he wants us to experience freedom from sin and brokenness. And sin is a big deal to God. You and I don't really have the right to dismiss it or to minimize it or as we look at the the sin maybe in our life or we look at the sin on this planet to go, "Ah, you know, it's not really that big of a deal. Or, you know what, God will forgive me anyway. It's not really that big of a deal. What this story illustrates is the fact that God takes sin really, really seriously. And it breaks his heart and it is not his plan and God wants to bring about justice for sin. The second thing we see is that God had concern for Noah because Noah valued his connection, his relationship with God. And the application for us is that God sees those moments when we seek after him. God sees how seriously we take our relationship with him. God sees even in those moments of doubt, like we talked about earlier, that we bring those things to God. And it's when we run to God rather than away from God that God responds to us. God sees those moments 
when we're looking to him. God sees those, those times when we come to him and we're seeking him for answers or we're seeking him for wisdom or we're seeking him for his plan in a situation. And God responds to those moments. James 4 tells us that, that if we will seek him, we will find him. That he says, draw near to God or draw close to God and he will draw near to you. And just as God saw Noah as somebody that valued his relationship with God, God sees us in those moments where we take the time and, that, and we take our relationship with him seriously. And then here's the last thing. We see that God uses the flood to hint at the coming of Jesus. We said early on that Jesus is not just some character that we get to down the road, but Jesus is that central theme throughout. That Jesus was there before the beginning, that Jesus was there at creation and things were created through him. And even in the story of a guy in a boat and a, and a catastrophic global flood, we see the hint of the coming of Jesus. Because just as the waters and that flood temporarily wash sin from the earth, Jesus will enter the story and his blood will permanently wash sin from the earth. See, that flood, as we're going to read about, was just a temporary fix. And really what God's doing is he's foreshadowing and hinting at what the permanent thing and the permanent way that he's going to eliminate sin and bring about our connection with him. And it's through what Jesus did for us on the cross. Here's the main point for us tonight. God hit reboot through Noah and the flood. But because of Jesus, we get a reboot by confessing our sin to him. So here's my question for you tonight as we close up. Do you feel like you need a fresh start? Do you find yourself in a moment right now where you feel like you need a, a reboot? Where you, you want to start over? And the amazing thing about who God is, is God, God is offering that to you. No matter how much of a, a mess you've made, no matter how far you've run away, no matter how many mistakes you've made, that that reckless love that we sang about where Jesus chases after us, that he climbs up and down mountains, over walls, that he tears them down, that he does whatever he can, that he's standing there always inviting us to come to him. And if you find yourself in a moment in a situation where you want to start over, maybe there's sin that's in your life, maybe there's some brokenness, Maybe there's some decisions that you've made where you've rejected God and you've kind of turned your back and done your own thing. And now you're just kind of standing there holding the results of that. And to, through, by confessing those things to him, to experience the grace that you need to be able to start again. And so my encouragement to you as we finish is that you call out to God, that you bring those things to him, that you don't run and hide like Adam and Eve did in, in the garden but rather you come and you bring those things to him and you say, God, here's where I'm at and I need your forgiveness and I need you to, to clean this situation up. And there may be consequences as a result of that. But God, thank you that your grace is ready to cover this mistake and these sins and to restore that relationship with you. Let's pray together. God, thank you for who you are. God, I know we read a story like this and it 
just seems so odd and strange and we sort of detach ourselves to, from that and go, man, I don't really see what the connection is. Or maybe we even look at this and, and once again, we, we blame you. God, I pray that you would help us to understand how seriously you take sin. And God, even in this world that we live in, that it, no matter, I don't know how crazy and out of control the world was in the days of Noah, but yet, God, it seems like it's the worst it's ever been now. And God, you see that and your heart breaks for that. God, you see every injustice. God, you see every tear that is shed because of brokenness, because of sin, because of pain. God, whether it's our doing or somebody else's. God, you desire to step into those moments and those situations. And you don't need to bring a flood into our lives to to change it up. But God, you stand there and you invite us to come to you and to bring those things to you. And allow your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness to cover them. And so God, I pray that we would do that, God. That we would run to you. That we would experience forgiveness in our time of need. So God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.